You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Joining me this episode is Will Miles from his site, readandreaction.com, and you can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSCC. Will, this is part two of the Gators opponent previews, uh, FSU Miami. Uh, were the previous one with Mark Rogers. And this episode, you and I will get into the SEC opponent for the Gators and the kind of part one of the SEC uh, look is Kentucky, Tennessee, Auburn, and LSU. Three of those were bold teams from a season ago. Yeah, man. And obviously Florida has something to prove against Kentucky. And, uh, you know, Tennessee maybe or maybe isn't a rival, depending on who you ask. And then certainly Auburn is one of those that, that we always look forward to when we get that West exchange. And then and then LSU has really become bitter the last few years. So with with the Hurricanes and Joe Oliva and all that sort of stuff. So um, a fun stretch. And I mean, just like every year, right? The SEC is always a gauntlet. You look at it and you say, yeah, there's a chance you could lose this game. Um, but uh, but always interesting to take a look at and excited to get started. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, before we get there, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and YouTube. When using those services, please share, rate, and review the show and follow us on social media, Twitter, and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. Don't forget, coming up August 17th, Gators Breakdown kickoff party a week before Florida and Miami kickoff the season. Free admission. You will have to pay for food and drinks. RSVPs out there on Twitter. And if you don't have Twitter, reach out to me at GatorsBreakdown at gmail.com if you want to go. And also get your Gators Breakdown gear at squadlocker.com. Head over there. Click in the top right of the screen. Click on Find Your Store. Type in Gators Breakdown and all the gear is available right there. Hats, shirts, polos, and more at squad locker so we'll uh you know uh when we go look at these preseason magazines when they come out in may uh i say it every year i'm a big proponent of the uh what opponent with what the opposing coaches uh have to say uh about uh, each team so i'll do these for the uh opponents too uh, that the getters are facing and starting i'm kind of gonna go in the order of the you know in order of the schedule when, when florida plays these teams here so kentucky of course is the first sec opponent uh for the getters this year and uh, according to Athlon, opposing coaches size up Kentucky. Uh, here they go. Tons of questions. Maybe the team that will look the most different on both sides this season. They lose a they lose a ton on defense. You don't replace a Josh Allen at Alabama, and your terrors hell don't at Kentucky. He was the best edge rusher in the game. Their secondary is basically starting over. The good news is that it's a line of scrimmage league, and they're really solid on both offense and defensive lines. They get their left tackle, Landon Young, back from an ACL tear. 
He's their all-time, uh, let's see, uh, he'll be a huge asset. I'd worry more about the offense. The needs are obvious. Losing Benny Snell is a huge blow. He's their all-time yards guy, but they've got a stable behind Snell of faster, more dynamic guys, not grinders. Eddie Grant will have to go back to that Cincinnati stuff, spreading the ball around, going faster, but they have to get more efficient quarterback play. Terry Wilson can run like a scalded dog, but he's got to improve throwing the ball on third down. They, uh, let's see, it's hard to keep up with this. The, the uh, font's really small here. Uh, they need better execution and uh, uh, passing and receiving. Uh, they won't have the defense to bail out on short drives. They're going to fall back some this year because of how good the league is. But I think Mark Stoops has done a great job, even if they end up 500 this season. They're still going in the right direction. They're just not a reload team. They're going to need more than one year to build, but Stoops has them in a really nice spot. They're putting a lot of inroads in Kentucky recruiting. They've been living in Ohio, but after last season, they can push farther south and get interest from kids. If they can translate last season into recruiting, they'll be back playing those New Year Day bowls in a year or two. I'll get to Lindy's here in just a second, Will, but it is funny that uh, Coach mentions recruiting and, and, and coming south, and Florida is done stole uh, three of Kentucky's recruits. So, <laughs> uh, you know, just just like just like all the time, man. Kentucky sits a, sits somewhere between thirtieth and thirty fifth, and Florida is hopefully a top ten recruiting team. So, um, you know, if you if that's how you got to get there, that's how you got to get there. Yep, and uh, so Lindy's here uh, on this. A short, uh, more brief to hear from them uh, on the coming up season. Uh, the guy that does the best job coaching in the East is Mark Stoops. He has a load of talent, so he's going to have his work cut out for him. They don't have a dynamic running back coming back. They don't have a dynamic quarterback coming back. Don't have a great receiver. Uh, and then another coach, more on this season, they ain't replacing those three defensive guys, Josh Allen, Mike Edwards, Jordan Jones. They were difference makers. They're going to go back to being Kentucky. But Mark did a hell of a job. If they win 10 every four years, that's a good job. You just don't want to go back to four and eight. If you go six and six and get a bowl game and win that, that's still good football for Kentucky. And I think Kentucky people understand that. And let's face it, his name is not Calipari. He's not finding five stars to replace those guys. So, Will, there um, some belief uh, in Mark Stoops and what he does, uh, and some, you know, saying that it, it's hard to keep that up at, at Kentucky. You know, last season was great uh, in Lexington. You know, before the, the the Wildcats went ten and three last year, the program had twice as many ten loss seasons four as ten win campaigns two in its history. So, you know, they, they were on their way to the best record in forty one years. They finally beat Florida after a thirty one game losing streak. You know, Benny Snell, Josh Allen, they became household names. Uh, Snell left the all-time leading rusher. Allen walked away where, you know, sack artist in, in school history swept every National Defensive Player of the Year award last year. They're going to miss those guys. They're going to miss Snell, who, who ran for 3,800 yards and 48 touchdowns in his career. Allen, 17 sacks last season, now playing in, here in Jacksonville for the Jaguars. He had 31 and a half sacks for his career. So the question does become for 2019, how does Kentucky respond by losing those type of players and keep up in the SEC East. And I, I might be too harsh on them, but you know I, I do see a drop off somewhat for what they were able to do last season. But not, I don't see a, a, a big one. You know, while, while you know while he had a pretty good game against Florida, Terry Wilson still a major question mark at quarterback. 
Maybe they'll prove me wrong again because I didn't think Kentucky was going to be as good as they were last season. I, you know, I, now I picked them fourth in the SEC East back at SEC Media Days, but I probably would have picked them behind South Carolina as far as power ranking goes, but South Carolina's schedule is just too much. Yeah, I mean, you know, so last year Kentucky went 10 and 3 and they they had 346 points for, which when you compare to Florida, Florida had 455. So the offenses really weren't even in comparison. Uh, but their defense gave up 219. So I think if you look at the strength of Kentucky's team last year, it was clearly the defense with Josh Allen and and you know, the the write-ups that you had mentioned, the returning starters, they've, they've only got four guys returning on the defensive side of the ball. I think that's really where people sort of then project that Kentucky isn't necessarily going to be as good this year because they're losing all that stuff on the defense, and the defense is really what kept them in games. And they went 3-1 and one in one-score games last year, and really 4-1 and one if you count the Florida game because that fumble that was returned at the end um, – you know, other than that, it would have been a one-score game as well. And you know, you don't typically go four and one in those games. You go two and three or three and two. And and if they do that, then it's a less successful season anyway. So I think I think they sort of outplayed their talent last year in some capacity. And I think that was sort of reflected in the rankings and the bowl games and and just sort of where they were positioned relative to Florida, even though they beat Florida. And then you know, with a lot of those guys leaving, and and like you said, they're not necessarily going to reload. This is a rebuild type of program. Stoops a pretty good coach, but you know. At the end of the day, you got to have the horses, and they don't. You know, it last year was a very senior-heavy laden team, um, and you know Wilson played reasonably well. His yards above replacement was .09, but you lose Benny Snell, and uh, that, that's a pretty significant loss. Uh, absolutely. If we go back to the offense, uh, you know, mentioned earlier that they have to get better play from Wilson, as you just kind of uh, alluded to. And they may, if he's healthy, uh, he only threw for you know almost nineteen hundred yards last year, eleven touchdowns. Completion percentage, not too bad, 67.2, only eight interceptions, you know, so just not uh, not a lot of, you know, reward uh, and, and some risk involved there. He's a major threat uh, as a runner, 547 yards and four scores on the ground. I uh, really hurt Florida there, as, a, as we know. Uh, but he did have a week, uh, leg injury in week four that didn't really fully heal until later in the season. Uh, you kind of alluded to this, you know, three to top four receivers are done. Uh, Lynn Bowden is back 67 passes uh, caught last year for 745 yards, five touchdowns. No question. He's the number one target and he might get the ball in, in multiple ways too to kind of help that Kentucky offense. Uh, so uh, Josh Ali, maybe another guy who's uh, ready to do more there. Uh, second relieving receiver, CJ Conrad, he's done at tight end. Uh, Justin Riggs is a probably guy that they'll, they'll fill in there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, Terry Wilson really is. If he if he could put what we saw in the Florida game together, for a, you know, I mean, he had good plays in that game, but it still wasn't a, that great game. But if he can put those type of plays together for one game and then that game after game, then you know, we said it many a times: a quarterback can change the game when the talent around him is not up to par and for Kentucky it's probably not but with Eddie Grant at OC uh and if he can find some magic with, with, with Terry Wilson then they, they they may not drop off all that much 
Yeah, I mean, a quarterback obviously can cover a multitude of sins. I would say that their offensive line was pretty decent last year, and they're returning three guys, Drake Jackson at center, Logan Sternberg at left guard, and Landon Young at left tackle. So that makes a difference. Um, you know, Wilson played okay, but I think we also have to look at the circumstances in terms of how he played against Florida. I mean, Florida obviously mm-hmm. implementing a new defense. They didn't have Reese on the field. I don't believe they had C.C. Jefferson on the field either. Right. Uh, Marco, Marco, Marco Wilson goes down. Marco Wilson. Wilson goes down, so now you're bringing in young guys off the bench. Now, again, that could happen this year, too, because the defensive backs are pretty thin. If you lose one of those defensive backs to an injury, then then obviously you're bringing in somebody young like Kyrie Elam or, or Chester Kimbrough or somebody like that. Um, but at the same time, you also have the combination of, of the the injuries and, and the suspensions and all that sort of stuff, and then also, um, and then also Snell. And that, I think, yeah. is the differentiating factor, right? So last year, they were Kentucky was 91st in yards per pass against FBS teams. They were 37th in yards per rush, and we saw that against Florida. I mean, Snell ran wild in that entire game. Florida couldn't stop it. They brought their safeties up, and then Wilson was able to hit hit long passes behind those safeties, especially early in the game. And, and those are the types of things that you're not going to be able to do if you don't have that running game. And we see this all the time. If you can't run the ball and you're playing a read option type offense and you can just focus on the quarterback, the quarterback's going to get killed. So um, you know, I, I think obviously they're going to rely on Wilson. The thing, the thing you got to wonder is with three of the four top receivers, with Conrad gone, um, you know, with with some questions on the offensive line, Landon Young was hurt a lot last year. Um, you know, how do you like? Are you going to be able to move the ball relying on Wilson as opposed to him being a complimentary piece? Um, I understand why people doubt <laughs> doubt Kentucky <laughs> on offense. That makes some sense. The other thing I think that we should take into account is that they are going to be playing Toledo and Eastern Michigan before they come in, and Florida will have already played Miami. Mm-hmm. And so, in terms of being battle tested coming into this game, I think Florida will already know who they are, and Kentucky will sort of be still trying to figure that out. I think that makes a difference when it comes to sort of getting your sea legs under you. You know, all of a sudden you get hit by somebody, and you know Florida will have already played a team with pretty decent speed. Kentucky will finally be playing that third game. Of the year so i think and, that can make and, a difference too yeah not, not only that florida will have a big game and a bye week and a cupcake <laughs> before kentucky <laughs> hey man it, it's uh it's a good way to open up the sec season that's for yeah sure. absolutely uh move to the other side of the ball will they lose five multi-year starters in the defensive backfield uh, mike edwards 44 stars Derek Beatty, 41 stars chris restry 34 stars darius west 24 stars lonnie johnson 18 stars you know those five guys here we go combined 853 tackles 80 pass breakups 24 interceptions you know add up all the interceptions last year last year uh by returning defensive backs and you get one uh so you know they, the the wildcats were hoping Junior Devontae Robinson was going to be ready for a starting role this year. He suffered an injury. He'll be out for the season. He played in all 26 games the past two seasons for the Wildcats, including first three starts of his career in 2018. 42 tackles, three tackles for loss, four pass breakups, two fumble recoveries last season. And one of those fumbles was the 30-yard touchdown to seal the game versus Florida last year. So uh, one guy who uh, – you know, who made plays against Florida last year, who they were really counting on, uh, is not going to be able to be, be on the field. Seven starters and four of the top five tackles are gone uh, from this defense. As, as you mentioned earlier, 338 yards uh, per game, 16.8 uh, points per game. Uh, so, you know, brought up everything they lose on the back end, but Kentucky will be strong up front. Uh, big boys on the defensive line. 
SEC defensive line here uh, and with, with tons of experience. 6'9", 310-pound Calvin Taylor. He's a senior, 49 tackles there, seven for a loss. Six foot four, two hundred eighty nine pound senior TJ Carter. Six foot four, three hundred sixty one pound junior Quentin Bohanna. Uh, he's thirty tackles uh, there, four for loss. Uh, six five, three hundred six pound senior Phil Hoskins. Uh, you know, plus you know, Marquand McCall, who got some quality reps as a freshman, former four star recruit and, and a you know, star. I think they're kind of waiting on is Josh Pascal, uh, 6'3", 284. So he returned late last season. Uh, he Weird, you know, skin cancer on his foot. Uh, he had it was an injury that he missed some time with there. So, you know, many are saying that this is Stoops' best defensive line yet in Kentucky. And looking at the size and the experience and production that they bring back, you know, you, that kind of backs it up. They do lose Josh Allen, of course, and we've mentioned his stats and how important he was. Jordan Jones as well. And, you know, so Cash Daniel uh, there at, at middle linebacker. We all remember him after the Florida game last year doing the Stone Cold Steve Austin with the uh, water bottles uh, there after the game. Played a lot last year with a cast on his uh, hand. He's a tough-nosed player with a broken left hand last year, but still had 84 tackles, uh, seven and a half for a loss. So, Will, uh, yeah, they lose their star, but you know we've mentioned time and time again on this podcast, especially in the SEC, if you're strong up front, then you're probably going to be strong on defense. Yeah, I mean, certainly the defensive line makes a difference. I, Bahana made some pretty big plays last year in the Florida game and really made a difference there up front. Um but but let's be honest. Like when you've got a guy like Josh Allen and the def- and the offense has to account for him, it opens everybody else up. The guy had 17 sacks and 21 and a half tackles for loss. There's a reason he was a top 10 pick in the NFL draft, and no one else on Kentucky's team had more than five sacks last year. So when we look at the defense and how it performed, you know, really you're looking at Allen, and, and they were okay. They weren't great. They were 32nd in yards per play. Um, overall 32nd in yards per pass and and 48th in yards per rush. So they were a good defense. They weren't necessarily great. And I think this is where that record in one score games I mentioned earlier really sort of plays a role. You know, if they had gone two and two in those games, or if they had gone one and three in those games, our, our perception as to how good Kentucky was would have been very, very different. I think they were a below average offensive team. I think they were a slightly above average defensive team and they had a little bit of luck and were able to pull out a few games that maybe they wouldn't always pull out. And, you know, they're not going to go Oh, and four in those games this year, but you figure they go two and two and, you know, they don't have quite as much talent. So, you know, I, I look at the loss of Allen as being a major, major deal, regardless of who they've got up front. And the fact that they have to replace all that, all that talent in the defensive backfield as well, um, you know, you're going to be able to get your shots and you're going to have some guys who are open just because of miscommunications and lack of experience. And, you know, obviously Florida's going to have to take advantage of that. Yeah. I'm glad you said that too. You know, kind of going back to your point you made just a second ago is, Hey, they're not going to be tested before this Florida game. And with that inexperienced secondary, Florida will be their first test. So you could kind of look for Dan Mullen to, to, to maybe take advantage there. All right, let's keep on moving to uh, the big orange of Tennessee. They'll visit Gainesville. As well, will the last two matchups in Gainesville have been, you know, for for the for, for memory books, uh, the Greer to Callaway and then the Hail Mary from from Franks to Cleveland. There, you know, so the last two times Tennessee's been to Gainesville, they've been to barn burners and going down to the wire. Uh, let's take a look at what some coaches had to say uh, about Tennessee. First, in Athlon, they say expect more consistent play. On offense this season, Jarek Jarek Garantano is a longtime starter who has been through been through it with that program. Combine him with Jim Chaney, a veteran play caller who knows the program 
and the roster and the second year of Jeremy Pruitt's culture should be better. The standout position group here is that wide receiver, Marquez Callaway, Josh Palmer should help them build something on the outside. Juwan Jennings coming back is big. They have a lot of athleticism on offense. They just didn't know how to utilize their skill guys. There is no reason that offense was so bad last year. I know the line wasn't good, but they have players. Secondary is an obvious strength. They were playing freshman corners last year, and those guys are back. They run a lot of stuff out of nickel, too, so they'll be able to do even more this year. Their best group on defense by far. Butch Jones, and this is interesting here. Butch Jones did a better job recruiting than what they're telling the media. The players he brought in are still playing the bulk of the time, and not a lot of Pruitt's recruits have broken past them on the depth chart, though that could change this year. They've recruited so well so far for the system Jeremy wants. They need to get a bowl. They need to get to a bowl this year and beat Vanderbilt and Missouri and the conference teams who aren't as talented on their rosters. Just show the plan is working long term. That and Jeremy needs to let Cheney make him look good. Cheney was their best ad in recruiting. And then uh, Linda, Lindy says, on the future, Tennessee needs a talent upgrade. It's going to take five years to get it done. I think Jeremy Pruitt will get it done because he's a good enough coach and recruiter to get it done, but it, but it will take that long. The reason is there's other people in the league already getting it done, and they have no margin for error because they play Alabama, Georgia, and Florida every year. On last season, the question is, why did they finish so poorly last year? They played like crap down the stretch against Missouri and Vanderbilt. They lost three in a row now to Vanderbilt. That's unacceptable. And a new offensive coordinator, uh, Jeremy lucked out getting rid of Tyson Helson, Tyson Helton and hiring Jim Chaney. I think he's the best, most proven offensive coordinator in the league. I think Jim is outstanding. If Jeremy will leave him alone, Jim will be just fine. So, well, going back to that recruiting thing and talent overall for Tennessee, it's a lot like Florida, too, uh, and, and we've noticed. And, and, of course, it's going to be this way for a lot of coaches that are in their second years. The, the previous coaches' players are still going to make up the bulk of the roster. Uh, but you do have some transfers at Florida who's made some differences here with Grimes and uh, Jefferson and, and, uh, and Grenard coming up this year. Uh, but it's still interesting that, you know, what you saw Dan Mullen able to do in year one – and get 10 wins and Tennessee still kind of floundering and finding their way. When you look at a lot of comparisons on talent and a lot of people say Florida and Tennessee have been pretty even the last, you know, recruit four or five years recruiting cycle. Absolutely. They have been. So, so, I mean, that, that was really my biggest question that I had written down coming in. It was, they've recruited well, what the hell happened? Like what, why, <laughs> why are they having so many problems? They've had, they've averaged the 16th best class nationally over the last four years. And they've been 7.3 in conference, which tells you a little something, right? You would expect them to be in the middle of the conference, but you wouldn't expect them to go five and seven and be losing to Vanderbilt. And, you know, they earned that five and seven record last year. So they were outscored. They had 273 points for 335 against, and you'd predict that to be 4.8 wins in a 12-win schedule. So them going five and seven or 12-game schedule. So them going five and seven, not a real big surprise. I, you know, I, I haven't been a real big Jim Cheney fan <laughs> with with some of the things that he's done while he's been while he's been at Georgia and some other things. So I'm interested to see whether he's able to take some of the deficiencies that Tennessee had on offense last year. I, I think it's probably a bad sign when you're replacing your offensive coordinator after the first year. Um 
you know, even if you think you can upgrade and, you know, you, you would, you would hope that you've hired the guy you need <laughs> to, to run things right away. <laughs> <Try to watch. laughs> well, and I also think, you know, Pruitt's a defensive guy. And if you look at their defense and we'll get into the numbers, but if you look at their defense, they weren't that great either. I mean, so, you know, I think last year at Florida, you say, hey, what we wanted to see was the offense get better and Grantham improving the defense was was really sort of a cherry on top and led to those 10 wins. I'm not sure Tennessee got that much better on either side of the ball last year under Pruitt. I think that's kind of the red flag if you're a fan of that program is, you know, what what's the mark? Like, where's his thumbprint? I mean, if he's a defensive guy, you would expect to see defensive progress, and I'm not sure they necessarily saw that. Yeah, the offense finished, uh, you know, the other side of the ball, of course, where they are making that change, finished last in the SEC in yards, 326 yards per game, last in passing efficiency, last in rushing. Tennessee being last in rushing in the SEC for their history and what they've known for, yeah, there's something wrong. Uh, you know, there's no pop, there's no explosion, uh, stalled way too much. They only managed more than 24 points just once against an FBS team, Will. Uh, and you know, they do get everybody back, but that is that a good thing, or you know, or we, we'll have to kind of see, uh, here. And the reason I asked that you know, here going down the scores here beat 40 to 14 by West Virginia, 47 21 by Florida, 38 21 by Georgia, 58 21 by Alabama, 50 to 17 by Missouri, and 38 to 13 by Vanderbilt. A couple nice wins versus Auburn and Kentucky. You know, but my, my question is how to close the gap after getting blown out so many times last season, nine wins in the last two seasons, lowest combined total for Tennessee on back-to-back years since 77-78. Is it a good thing so many parts return? Um, I mean, you know, I think you would have said the same thing about Florida from 2017 to 2018, right? That that there's a lot of experience coming back. In fact, I probably said this directly, that there's a lot of experience <laughs> coming back, but they haven't necessarily proven anything yet. And, and you know, again, we talked about it with Wilson. It's the same thing with Guarantano. I mean, if, if the quarterback takes a major step forward, it can cover up a bunch of your holes. The problem last year was they couldn't block anybody. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they were 105th in yards per rush against FBS opponents. And if you go back and look at the film of them against West Virginia, the offensive line just got blown up the whole game. And the same thing happened when they played Florida. I, mean, I was at that game. I mean, you know, they were trying to run the ball out of the end zone and got stuffed for a safety. You don't usually see safeties on running plays, but they were able to do that. Um, you know, and, and then sort of a comedy of errors in that game against Florida as well. It just sort of snowballed. I'm not necessarily – I mean, Florida played well, obviously, but I'm not sure that – you know, if you if you ask me – I mean, that game was was 28-7 to 7 or 28-3, to 3, you know, in the blink of an eye based on a bunch of turnovers and stupid plays and things like that. I mean, Pruitt was over on the sidelines kicking dry race ports and all sorts of stuff. Um, yeah, I, I, again, I, I think the – where is the stamp? Right. And and that's going to be the question is, can Cheney put his stamp on the offense because there was no stamp last year? Yeah. And uh, I think if you, you know, if you go and look at that offensive line, a lot of experience returns uh, two true freshmen and a transfer will, you know, will kind of make this unit look a little different. Uh, early enrollee, Wanya Morris, a five star recruit. Uh, he's probably going to be starting at left tackle. Uh, five star freshman Darnell Wright. He's a summer enrollee. Has a good chance to get into the starting rotation as well, but maybe a right tackle. Alabama transfer, Brandon Kennedy will be back. Likely becomes his starting role at center after missing almost all of last season with a torn ACL. Uh, guard spots are a little trickier for them. Trey Smith, you know, he's got to get healthy. 
uh, there with issues with blood clots. You know, hopefully they can figure out uh, and get him back on the field just for, you know, for the sake of you know getting a guy who really wants to play the game of football out there. And, you know, you don't, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to see injuries out there. So, uh, and another worry there, and just in this first fall, this, in this first week of fall camp, they lose guard Nathan Niehaus, uh, who's retiring from football uh, after you know he took part in the team's first four practices and, and recently announced that he's going to retire from the game, uh, you know for all the wear and tear on his body. So he was expected to compete for a starting role uh, as he was moving around between tackle and guard, mostly on the right side there. But you know that group has to get better for the sake of keeping you know quarterback uh, Jared Garantano. I cannot is it Garantano Guarantano? I don't know. Here we go. Uh, I hear it said different. All the time, but here we go. Guarantano. There we go. Uh, they got to keep him upright and healthy. Uh, took beatings every week, uh, sustained injuries that took him out of games four times last season. Will, uh, he did hit 62% of his passes, a modest, you know, 1900 yards, 12 scores, uh, only three picks. So, so not really a lot of risk and not a lot of reward either, uh, from him. And, uh, I, you know, Cheney helps him, I think, uh, to a point. Uh, but so much, so much of that is dependent on the offensive line. You know, finished last in the SEC in yards, uh, 326 yards per game, as we as we mentioned, last in passing efficiency, last in rushing, uh, only managed more than 24 points against FBS opponents again. So, I mean, that's you know, it's just crazy for, for Tennessee. I like a lot of the skill talent that they have. And, you know, and we know uh, as Gator fans just how much a poor offensive line can, can hold skill players back. So, got, you know, three known quantities at receiver, Jawan Jennings, Marquez Callaway, um, the tight end Dominic Wood Anderson there. Uh, so, you know, and Jennings coming back after a knee injury uh, from last month, uh, I believe. Uh, he needed surgery on that. Should be back uh, by the time the season comes around. But, uh, you know, Will, and you mentioned it too, and I, I, I say it's hard to fathom Tennessee, the SEC's worst rush game, 129 yards per game, 3.7 yards per carry. Yeah, I mean it was just awful, and 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 you you see that as well if you look at the quarterback rush yards. So Guarantano had forty rushes for negative ninety four yards, which means he was getting hit behind the line of scrimmage because that has a bunch of sack numbers involved, you know, incorporated in it too. He was okay throwing the ball through the air. He averaged seven point eight yards per attempt, so really sort of on par with Felipe Franks. But Franks obviously had you know almost four hundred yards worth of rushing, and Guarantano didn't bring much of that at all to the table. And so what you wind up with was below average quarterback quarterback play an offensive line that couldn't block for the running game and no real standout running back either. And, and, and at that point it's just a disaster. And, you know, and then when you factor in the turnovers and things like that against teams like Florida, you're going to get blown out a lot. So um, yeah, you know, again, where, where's the, where's the thumbprint that Cheney can bring? What, what do you look at from his time as an offensive coordinator and say, Oh, this is what he's going to improve. Um, you know, you got to hope it's the running game if you're Tennessee, cause that has to get better. I mean, and we already know just by looking at it, and he was able to take advantage of a uh, of talent he had at Georgia. He's not going to have that talent uh, at Tennessee. So, what can he come up with that will make that offense hum? Like, I, I do think he's probably an improvement uh, there. Uh, I think what he does, his history with quarterbacks, and you know what he's done uh, previously, I think speaks that he'll improve the offense. But that offensive line is the worry, and I think it's just a question of how much he can improve that offense. Well, and it's baby steps, right? I mean, they went yeah. five and seven last year. If they go six and six or seven and five this year, I think you call that a success. Um, but again, I go back to like 
I'm very much interested in process when you're a team that's trying to build. And so last year, you know, they go five and seven, but were things being done the right way? Well, the fact that you're replacing your offensive coordinator after one year says, eh, maybe you made a wrong choice when you first started that. The fact that you've recruited as well as you have and you're still going five and seven, I think says something about the previous coaching regime, but also something about development skills and your ability to, to identify good players and put them in a position to succeed. And certainly there's been some attrition and some transfers and some injuries and all those sorts of things. But end of the day, there are no excuses in the SEC and, and, you know, they're going to have to, they're going to have to make hay with what they've got. And Tennessee should be better than Vanderbilt. Tennessee should be better than Kentucky. Tennessee should at least be on par with South Carolina and, and, you know, for their fan base, I think that's what they should they should expect out of Pruitt. Like they should be competitive with South Carolina and better than Kentucky and Vanderbilt. And if they don't get that done this year, then I think that's a disappointment. And let's move to the other side of the ball with no position group more unsettled uh, after all three starters in 2018 are gone. Uh, and now recently senior Emmett Gooden, who would have started in the middle, uh, tore his ACL early in camp. Uh, junior uh, Matthew Butler, he won a starting job this spring. A uh, deep rotation that leaves probably heavily on newcomers there is something you don't want in the SEC, kind of opposite of what we were kind of just discussing about Kentucky. Uh, they're still waiting. Uh, Michigan transfer, Aubrey Solomon, you know, he, he'll be a star, uh, but they're still waiting on the NCAA clearance there. Uh, linebacker Darren Kirkland Jr., uh, retirement uh, le- leaves a hole in the middle. Tennessee's had a lot of players retire lately in recent years, so uh, you know hopefully uh, you know, things can get, can get figured out uh, along uh, along those lines. There, um, hoping incoming freshman they got five star Cavarius uh, um, Crouch there and Henry Toyota uh, can help fill that. Uh, but it's probably going to take some time. Uh, they, they just need some more experience there uh, on, on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, cornerback, uh, early impact from two freshmen uh, last year, Bryce Thompson, uh, Alante Taylor. Uh, you know, most of the year they proved themselves uh, as strength of the defense. Uh, both were healthy, had good springs. Uh, you know, they, they, I think Tennessee's really looking at them blossoming into into stars. Uh, you know, Buchanan, uh, Warren Burrell uh, back there at safety to, to, to get some depth there or back in the secondary, I, I mean. But the you know, group's kind of thin uh, behind their proven guys who, who got a lot of experience last year. Uh, Nigel Warrior at, at safety, I, I like that kid a lot. Um, he's solid. Uh, but uh, the freshman Jalen McCullough, uh, he'll probably push for playing time. I know they were high on him coming out of uh, com- coming out of or, or spring or early parts of a summer camp. Six of the top eight tacklers are back, uh, so enough overall talent to improve after a decent year. Uh, Lally, 377 yards and 28 points on the season, Will. Yeah, and you know, I so two years ago. Um, Tennessee was 122nd in yards per yards per rush against. They were 54th in yards per pass. Well, last year that flipped. They were 102nd in yards per pass allowed and 54th in yards per rush. And now they're losing their entire defensive line. So um, that's going to be an issue. And and for a team like Florida, where the Gators are breaking in an offensive line that's relatively young, I think the fact that you know you mentioned Kentucky having a very strong um, defensive line will. Tennessee's not going to have that. And so I think that really sort of plays into Florida's hands and the ability to be able to take advantage of some of the things that you might have, that you might see on the back end. Just, you know, if Florida can block Tennessee, they're going to eat them alive just because um, there hasn't been enough development with the players. Even if, you you know, again, the recruiting is, is, uh, is similar to Florida, but I think we can all say at this point, there's been a lot more success on the field for Florida's guys. And, and I, and I expect to see that moving forward. 
Yeah, all right, before we move on uh, to Auburn uh, here, uh, there we go, guys. You've got to try UFM underwear. And uh, don't worry, you won't see me modeling uh, out there on social media, anything like that. You don't need that. But what you do need is a pair of UFM underwear. Underwear for men is the only brand of men's underwear that offers both isolation and support. Unlike other pouch underwear brands that have thin mesh panels or pre-sized pouches, underwear for men's patented pending design prevents skin-on-skin contact and eliminates chafing. UFM underwear is designed to move with your body so you can easily go from one activity to the next without ever having to think about your underwear. This state of Florida company has you covered no matter the activity. Everyday underwear, athletic underwear, work underwear, medical underwear, underwear for men is made for it all. Try your pair now. Head over to ufmunderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN to get $5 off your pair of UFM underwear. UFM underwear, support your manhood. Well, next up uh, for the Gators in this kind of you know cycle of SEC teams here, an old-time rival in Auburn and I think uh, growing up in the 90s and all the the, 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 the down-to-the-wire games against uh, – Terry Bowden in, in, in the mid-90s with Spurrier, Terry Bowden there, and you know, Auburn breaking you know, Florida's hearts uh, a couple of times, uh, games you had to listen to on the radio because Auburn was on probation and you couldn't watch it on TV. So the only time you saw, if you saw it, you were there in the stadium. Uh, and uh, well, I remember the uh, Zook overtime game uh, as well against Auburn. Well, this is a, a, a matchup that I wish we got to see more. Yeah, I mean Auburn's fun, man. It, it just feels like there's a there's a spark in the air when you play them. There's certainly, you know, I was there a few years ago when Flo, well, more than a few years ago now, but um, a while back when when uh, Auburn won a last second field goal and it was coming right at me, and obviously that was a little bit depressing. But um, you didn't but, blow hard. You didn't blow hard enough. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'll, I'll blame my brother because he was sitting next to me. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean Auburn again. Anytime you're playing one of the traditional powers in the sec it's a lot of fun and it just has sort of like a unique feel to it because florida and auburn were rivals but now it doesn't happen all the time so it's just sort of um i guess it feels fresh you know compared to some of the teams like you know we're going to talk about lsu next that's somebody we play every year um you know this this has a fresh feel to it uh, and i'm sure there are a lot of gators fans who look at it and say this is the one i'd like to go to um just because it's something you can't see every year Yep, it is homecoming uh, for the Gators there. So let's take a look at what the uh, coaches have to say here. Uh, Auburn is the most talked about school in the league right now. Gus Malzahn is back calling plays again. Usually that works out pretty well for his teams. And if they get back to their old ways this year, I can bet you he won't give up play calling for the rest of his career. The bowl game versus Purdue was old school Gus Malzahn. It's all about the quarterback race here. That will define their season. We think it's wide open between – quarterbacks on the roster um, and don't think they won't start a true freshman either. Their offensive line was young last year and should be much improved. Wide receivers need work. There isn't a particular guy that knocks you over on tape. I think the big thing is how deep their personnel really goes. It's not the first level guys at Auburn. It's the second string. How much depth do they really have? I think their defensive talent is better than their offensive talent again this year, which for Malzahn is pretty strange. Derek Brown was their biggest returnee. Bringing him back kept a really great defense together. They could have the best defensive line in the nation if they stay healthy. Marlon Davison and Nick Coe are NFL players. Now they could be talented enough to carry the offense. You can't say enough about what Kevin Steele has done with that defense. There's more pressure at Auburn than maybe 
anywhere else in the SEC because Alabama is your in-state rival. But this isn't really the season to make a call on Gus Malzahn unless the wheels completely fall off. They'd have to totally screw up the quarterback's quarterback decision, and that is his strength. And last few thoughts here from coaches on the Lindy side of things. I think the Auburn people are fed up. They've never been a consistent big-time program, and they haven't played well the last three or four years. Um, they put in parentheses here. Auburn won the West in 2017. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> uh, if not for defensive coordinator Kevin Steele, it'd be sub 500. Kevin Steele has held that program together. They play good defense. All Gus does is blame the guy calling plays. Hell, then call the plays yourself. Why has their offense been inconsistent? Coaching. So one coach right there is not too high on Gus Malzahn. Uh, and then uh, last little bit here on this coming up season. Auburn has a chance because they've got good returners on defense, particularly the defensive line and secondary. This could be their best defense in years. Offensive line is much better than it was this time last year. Running backs and wide receivers are pretty much the same. Uh, Jatarvius Whitlow could gain 1,000 yards if he stays healthy. So, Will, this was a team that going into last year was you know, preseason top 10 fell on their face. So now this is years the the expectations are are tempered a bit in what seems like a do or die year for for Gus Malzahn. Uh but look, go back and look at Auburn's history and that's usually when Auburn surprises. Uh Gus's back calling plays and pair that with strong defense. Uh and the Tigers could be a dangerous out for anybody uh on their schedule. Absolutely. I mean Auburn Auburn when you just look at their recruiting, I mean they've averaged 10.3 their national recruiting average, four and a half in the conference. They should be perennially one of the top tier teams in the SEC. And I think that's why maybe you heard some of the negativity about Malzahn there. I mean, he took over in 2013, led him to the BCS championship game, and they lost that one. And ever since then, it's been basically mediocrity. I mean, eight and five, seven and six, eight and five. Then the year you mentioned in 2017, where they beat Alabama, got to 10 and two, and then dropped the SEC title game against Georgia, and then lost to UCF in the bowl game. So, you know, obviously not, not perfect there. And then eight and five, last year. So, I mean, if you were to look at the last four or five years, you'd say eight and five, nine and four. That's probably what you're looking at if you're an Auburn fan. And, uh, you know, that's a good team, but not a great team. But certainly anytime a team is, is uh, you know, any, anytime a team's nine and four in the SEC, that's a team that can beat you. And, and Florida's going to have to be wary of that. Uh, Jared Stidham's gone at quarterback, and uh, I think it's kind of a two. It's pretty much a two-man race at, at quarterback. Joey Gatewood who committed to Auburn; he's a sophomore from here in Jacksonville. Um, you know, played briefly uh, in the bowl game last year. Uh, gets compared to Tim or Tim Tebow, or Cam Newton, that six-foot-five quarterback, run first. Uh, but you know, a lot remains to be seen how good of a thrower he can be. I know Denny Thompson, the quarterback trainer here in Jacksonville, has been working with him, and, and he's high on his, on his development uh, so far. And, and then you have Bo Nix. Uh, it's the first uh, five-star quarterback to sign with Auburn out of high school since Jason Campbell back in 2000. He broke all of Alabama high school career records for total yardage and touchdowns on his way to back-to-back state championships. So, you know, Malzahn, he's kind of proven he can win with two different style of quarterbacks here. So, you know, I don't necessarily think he favors one uh, over another um, with Gatewood kind of the, the power speed runner and, and Nick's kind of the precise, precise passer, uh, can make all the throws on the, on the, uh, you know, on the field, but he can do it while he's scrambling. So, you know, it, it may be a slow start with these guys, but it seemed like Malzahn has some good options uh, when they open up versus Oregon, just no experience. So you know, whoever wins the job, 
in, in the fall between Gatewood and Nix should be able to rely on an improved run game uh, and several you know playmakers coming back at receiver. Yeah, I think the big thing is is that their entire offensive line's coming back. So when you're going to break in a guy who's a first year starter at quarterback, whether it's Gatewood or whether it's Nix or whether it's somebody else, you know that the the fact that they've got those guys returning on offensive line is is a, is a big deal. Um, you know, you mentioned the opening game against Oregon, but then they've also the two weeks prior to coming into Florida, they've got at Texas A&M and Mississippi State, so they may be kind of beat up Ooh, coming yeah. into Gainesville. At the same time, they will have been battle tested at that point, right? Like they will have had Oregon, they will have had Texas A&M on the road where it's going to be loud. So, you know, nothing in the swamp is going to intimidate them, I don't think. And so, um, you know, I would expect them to sort of have them, their sea legs under them at that point. But again, you know, they might not have a very good record coming in either because they got a true freshman who started those those sorts of games. And, um, you know, the, the quarterbacks who've given Grantham trouble in the past have been guys who have experience where he can't necessarily confuse them with coverages. And that's what you're going to see in this game is they're going to do a lot of stuff where they line up where the safety configuration early in the, you know, before the snap is not what the defense they're actually playing. And I think you're going to see guys coming from all over the place. Um, if this was a Randy Shannon defense, I'd tell you, you know, Hey, this might be a problem, but, <laughs> uh, but you know, with Grantham, I think they're going to be coming from all over the place. And, you know, one of the things is they are returning their entire offensive line, but last year, their offense was 94th in yards per rush. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was their ranking against FBS opponents. So, you know, Malzahn offense, you really think about them running the ball to set up the pass. And instead, last year, they relied on Stidham an awful lot. You wonder whether that reliance on Stidham is one of the reasons why Malzahn's calling plays this year. But he's really going to have to lean into that run game if he's going to make the offense hum. And, and uh, you know, we'll see whether he can do that. Yeah, we've seen that offense, you know, when, when, when that run game's going, it, it is a tough offense to to defend. Uh, a lot of guessing going on the opposing defense. Uh, Auburn didn't have a 1,000-yard rusher last season for the first time since 2008. So uh, a decade there uh, with not having a – with you know, with having 1,000-yard rushers, and that came uh, come, came falling down, crashing down last year. Inexperience, of course, at running back and offensive line last year. Uh, kind of calls that, and now Malzahn's calling plays, uh, and with zero losses from the wide receiver position and the running back position, uh, or, or I mean the, the running back position and the offensive line, you have to think uh, the belief is that they'll get back there and probably getting a thousand yard rusher. The top candidate, sophomore uh, Jartavius Booby Whitlow, averaged five point three yards per carry uh, in an injury riddled uh, freshman season, redshirt freshman season. Uh, they said he was the best offensive player uh, in, in spring practice. So he'll be a leader for that for that backfield uh, there. And at wide receiver, Darius Slayton and, and Ryan Davis, you know, departures mean uh, that, you know, whoever is new starting quarterback uh, will, will be without a, go, a go-to deep threat right now. Uh, and it's all-time leader in, in career receptions there in Ryan Davis. You know, there could be – there's a bright future here uh, there, but it's going to take, you know, some guys stepping up here, sophomore Seth Williams – he averaged more than 20 yards per catch. And then fellow sophomore Anthony Schwartz, who could be the fastest player in, in college football. Uh, he, was, he came on strong second half of last season, uh, but he's likely going to miss game one versus Oregon with hand surgery. So you know, he should be good to go or sometime earlier or early in the season and before Auburn plays Florida. Uh, but uh, they got Will Hastings and Eli Stove back uh, from injuries that cost them the 2018 season. So Will just um, – I guess a lot of potential at the skill positions, but not a lot of experience. 
Yeah, I mean that's sort of sort of the story of Auburn. I mean, you know, they got six guys returning on offense, and five of them are on the offensive <laughs> line. So there, there's there's not a lot of experience coming in, and they're going to have some growing pains. And you know, the interesting thing is, if you look at last year, I actually looked originally and and was like, oh, Auburn's offense wasn't too bad. They averaged over thirty points a game, and they had four hundred points for the whole year. But then you look, and they had sixty three points against against Alabama State. Then they had 53 against Liberty, and then they had 63 against Purdue. And really, if you subtract those from their from their uh, from their ledger, they then averaged 22 points a game on the other 10 games for the year. So that's McElwainian and Nussmeyerian in there, <laughs> uh, 22 points a game. So there's a reason why Nussmeyerian, the good new word, Nussmeyerian. <laughs> well, they they probably were running play action on third and 13 too, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so they weren't any good on offense last year, and that's really the hallmark of Malzahn. I mean, he's supposedly an offensive guru. Again, we talked about it a little bit with Tennessee is, you know, where's where's the thumbprint Cheney's going to put on that program? You know, Malzahn, you know, he came in as an offensive guru. Obviously, that first year had some success. Um, you know, and, and he's got a rough job there having to beat, beat Alabama every year. But based on where they're at, they should be competitive with LSU every year, and that hasn't necessarily been the case. So um, I get why the natives are restless there. I, I would not be happy with the way Malzahn has, has run that program based on his recruiting if I were, if I were a fan. And, uh, you know, I, I think the other thing is, is that they were, I think, 19th in points per game allowed last year. Um, on, on defense, but the underlying numbers don't necessarily uh, don't necessarily support that. So um, there could be a reckoning coming this year a little bit. Yeah, well, it won't, it won't be on the other side of the ball. Uh, and their defense that starts up front, and it is nasty. Uh, former five-star Derek Brown uh, and high four-star Marlon Davidson both decided to come back. Who They easily could have went to the NFL. Uh, junior Buck defensive end Nick Coe, uh, he's versatile, led the team in sacks last year. Uh, you know, he he joins that he joins those guys, and you know, given Auburn uh, probably the best defensive line in college football heading into the 2019 season, uh, Brown All American potential already be already being talked about as a top five pick in next year's draft. Uh, Davidson and Co. Uh, those guys coming off the edge there, lining up next to Brown in the interior. So uh, you know, a lot to like there on along along the defensive line for Auburn. Uh, the departed seniors at linebacker, Deshaun Davis, Darrell Williams, Montavious Atkinson, uh, they accounted for 141 games played, 564 tackles, and 52 tackles for a loss. So Auburn's really going to rely on that defensive front to kind of make up for what they, they lost there at linebacker. There's a lot of production going there. Uh, juniors K.J. Britt, Chandler Wooden uh, probably look to fill in there, uh, tandem at, for, for Auburn. Uh, they had strong springs. Uh, and probably look to be the, the new leaders there. Uh, they have um, uh, Zacoby McLean, a sophomore, uh, kind of reputation for being a hard hitter there. And then uh, only lose one starter, uh, Jamel Dean from a secondary that gave up some big plays last year. The four starters back in the five-man secondary, all kind of working around the safety duo of Jeremiah Denson and Daniel Thomas. Those guys were also uh, the two the, the team's two leading tacklers. So, Kind of weird that the reputation that they get for that defensive line and their leading their leading returning tacklers are in the secondary. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on what you're really looking at when you're looking at the stats on defense. I mean, last year they were 15th in points per game against FBS opponents when you factor out the the liberties of the world and that sort of stuff. But they were 38th in yards per play. 
And the, mm. the differentiation between those two, I think, indicates that they they outperformed the expectations of what you would normally see. So typically, your yards per play and your points per game are pretty even. And in this case, you know, there's some indications that the defense wasn't quite as good as it showed on the field last year. And you wonder whether some of that had to do with maybe Malzahn being a little bit more uh, more conservative on offense just because they weren't able to move the ball and slow things down and, and those sorts of things. But um, so, you know, I, I'm high on their defense. I think their defense is going to be good. I don't know that it's going to be elite. This isn't something where I look at Like I look at Miami's underlying stats and say, Miami had a really good defense last year. I look at Auburn's underlying stats and I go, eh, you know, middle of the pack for the SEC is sort of what some of their underlying stats look like. And they're obviously returning a lot of experience and that makes a difference. So I think they'll probably be one of the upper tier defenses in the, uh, in the SEC, but you know, I'm not going to put them on par with Alabama or Georgia or maybe even Florida in that case. I think um, last year they weren't quite as good as maybe the, uh, the points they allowed indicate. All right. Then after Auburn, the Gators would travel to, Baton Rouge, Will, and uh, the big-time rival, LSU, uh, a game that has just gotten nastier <laughs> as the years goes on, uh, and you're fighting Joe Burrows there when the Gators travel to Louisiana and take on the Tigers. You know, tig- yeah, Tigers back-to-back there, Auburn and LSU uh, for the Gators. First time I, don't, I just really realized that. Uh, there, so uh, see what the opposing coaches have to say about LSU as our just will be our last team here uh, in this uh, SEC preview. Uh, part one for the for the SEC, but part two overall, uh, looking at the Gators' uh, opponents. So uh, about LSU, this team could be uh, this could be their best chance to catch Alabama in a long time. You see athleticism and size everywhere. They're big and strong on both lines. They're going to be physical all over, competing the way those Pete Carroll USC teams did. I don't know where the heck they get that, but okay. Um, that's what Ed Orgeron wanted to build. Joe Burrow is the best quarterback to play for the Tigers in a long time, and he's definitely one of the SEC's best returning quarterbacks. His development will change that offense. He barely knew the system when he got the job last year, and they hit him because of it. You don't ask a quarterback to win or lose you a game when you're when you're talented everywhere else. Come on, they weren't talented that everywhere else. I want to know who this coach was. They do not have running backs like they used to have. Okay, I'll keep going. Um, they should have enough starting talent at running back for let's see, uh, at least uh, at least two SEC teams. Foster Moreau was a great tight end. They don't have anyone like that to replace him. Great linebacker play, even with Devin White being gone. Patrick Queen came in for him versus Alabama after a late targeting call versus White and did really well. Solid secondary play still on the roster despite them losing a lot to the NFL. They recruit really well at that position. The focus will be on the offense and what new offensive guy, former Saints assistant Joe Brady, brings in. Expect some newer stuff passing. I know they talk about installing RPO, but they still want to smash you running the ball. And if you have the bigs, that's what you do in this league. And Ed has a history with his play callers. He doesn't stray too far away from what he's comfortable with, no matter what he says when he hires them. This is the best team Orgeron has had. If they expand the offense, they can beat anyone. Before I move on to the Lindy, so yeah, I didn't agree with a whole lot of stuff there. Uh, and I want to go back to, and Ed has a history with his play callers. He doesn't stray too far from what he's comfortable with, no matter what he says when he hires them. That sounds a lot like Les Miles. 
Well, I, I think Orgeron, um, Orgeron's done a halfway decent job. I don't yeah. think it's been terrible, but I, I think you, you know, you, you made a crack about the talent and you know, they've had, they've had a national recruiting average of 7.3 and a conference ranking average of 3.5. Okay. But come on, years. would you really put them up there with those USC teams? <laughs> no, absolutely not. You had to back to back Heisman winners. Right. That, so, was, that was my point. I mean, but you know, they, these guys got to sell magazines, man. But <laughs> selling hope. But nah, I mean, I, I think I think anybody who's watched, I mean, anybody who watched that UCF game last year, and and I watched because for the first time in my life I was an LSU fan. <laughs> because God, I just wanted them to shut up. So you're you're watching that game, and I'm sitting here going, God, I, I would commit suicide if I was an LSU fan. Like they're just pick sixes and stupid offsides penalties and false starts and all that sort of stuff. And you know, I think it's reflected. They played five one score games last year, and they went three and two in them. But five one score games, that's a lot of games to be playing where you're where, you know, one play one way or the other can really make or break your season. And and, you know, I think that's reflective of coaching in some aspects, having to play that many games. Uh, Interesting here for the the Lindy's and their first coach. I thought Ed Ed Orgeron did a nice job last year. He does a good job recruiting. He's he's one of he's one of them Cajun. Uh, LSU doesn't always do a good job evaluating, but Ed's done a good job. Tennessee should have hired him after Lane Kiffin left after the 2009 season. He'd have done a hell of a lot better job than Derek Dooley or Butch Jones. If Ed had stayed at Tennessee, Tennessee would probably be the best program in the East right now. I want to know who that coach is who's saying that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I uh, think it's Ed Orgeron. <laughs> Well, we wouldn't be able to read it. <laughs> um, uh, on the offense, I like their quarterback, Joe Burrow. He's very efficient, though. Uh, he's very efficient and tough. Uh, offensive coordinator Steve Insminger does a good job putting him in situations where he can exceed, but LSU is still not where they would like to be on the offensive line. On defense, coordinator Dave Aranda is a consistently good coach, as good of a defensive coordinator as there is in the SEC. They're good enough defensively, but really by their standards, not great. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I'm pointing to here uh, as well. I think LSU has good talent. I still don't think they're on par of past LSU teams, nowhere near the USC team that we're going with. They don't have the running backs. I don't think they had that traditional strong SEC. I mean, they have an SEC defensive line. They don't have a traditional LSU defensive line. No, but last year their defense was pretty good. I mean, it was 24th in yards per play, 8th against the pass, and I think a lot of that is attributable to Delpit and some of the guys they had back there, and then 51st in, in yards per rush allowed. And so, um, you know, they're 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 pretty stout on defense. I think offense last year is really where you look at it and say, this is why LSU struggles, or at least why they struggled when they were losing the three games they lost. All right, and then uh, so we'll start with the offense there uh, before we wrap up here uh, with LSU. And as I mentioned, they do bring in uh, Joe Brady, who is an analyst with the New Orleans Saints. He brings a system kind of loaded with some quick throws uh, predicated on on finding some favorable matchups. You know, this is going back and reading some stuff. It's a system that Orgeron had won since he was in New Orleans uh, under Sean Payton as an assistant coach. Uh, And the the running backs also get more involved uh, with the passing game here. Of course, that passing game is led by Joe Burrow. Um, He played okay uh, in the first half of the season, didn't throw an interception until uh, two in the Florida game. Uh, Did 
pretty good uh, final third the season there. Uh, so the kind of uh, 16 touchdown passes, five uh, interceptions, and, and a 58% completion percentage, uh, and you know 28, almost 2,900 yards passing. Uh, okay, stats as we kind of mentioned, kind of similar to what Felipe Franks uh, was able to do. Uh, but you could tell, you know, go by go by watching him. They really rallied around him, uh, starting as early as that Miami game, where you know he, he made good plays, he made smart plays, not a lot of big plays. Those kind of came later on in the season. Pretty much when he started using his legs too, kind of much like Felipe Franks. Uh, but you know he is a he is a smart quarterback and and one tough guy. You mentioned that UCF game, Will, where he just got blasted. Uh, I don't even know how he really kind of came back from that and ends up leading LSU to to a victory in, in the bowl game there. So I think the question is, you know, how does he fit in this new, you know, if they're bringing an RPO system uh, there, you know, how does he fit because you go back and read what some of those coaches said. They tried to hide him in an offense that he was learning. Well, if you're bringing Brady in and changing a lot of things, you know, what does that mean for Joe Burrow? Yeah, it's actually a really interesting question. So, I mean, obviously, Urban Meyer at Ohio State played an offense that had a bunch of read option and RPO mm-hmm. things in it, too. So I don't know that it's necessarily brand new, but you are changing the system for a guy who – was just probably getting comfortable in the system. And I think you could see that at the end of the year, you know, we, we've talked a lot over the course of the summer about Felipe Franks and sort of the step he took from the South Carolina game forward and how much better he was in those four. And I think you see the same thing with Burrow. So he has 71% of his passes completed against Arkansas, 71% against Rice, then 66 against Texas A&M on the road, and then 62% against Central Florida in that bowl game, even though overall for the entire year, he only completed 57.8% of his passes. So those last four, he really took a step forward. And in those last four, he also also had 10 touchdowns and one interception and he only had 16 and five for the entire year. So, um, you know, I, I think you could see Burrow sort of learning the offense and taking a step forward in much the same way we saw happening with Franks last year. But obviously Franks has Mullen for year two as his offensive coordinator and, and Burrow has a new offensive coordinator. So it'll be interesting to see whether he's able to pick those things up and whether the comfort level that he has just from being a starter is able to sort of carry through from the last four games last year. Yeah, you know, and they're bringing in Brady, but it's still Steve, Steve Insminger, who is the offensive coordinator. So, how do those two guys work together and then kind of filter that down uh, into Joe Burrow? Is kind of just an interesting storyline uh, to watch there. And uh, it'll be, be interesting. They played Texas early on in the season, uh, and then they'll, uh, you know, have Florida about midway uh, there. So, be, Joe Burrow kind of watching his progression throughout the beginning of the season until they play Florida will be uh, definitely something to keep an eye on. Running back Nick Brissett leaves a uh, pretty strong senior season last year. He rushed for 14 touchdowns, uh, more than a thousand yards, but they do have junior Clyde, junior Clyde Edwards, uh, you know, 5'7, 210, more of elusive style kind of running back. Um, he's going to step in for more of a feature role here. 658 yards, seven touchdowns last year. Uh, Leonard Fournette's little brother, Leonard Fournette, uh, there he's, he's uh, he'll be counted on, uh, a, a, as well at the wide receiver position. Junior Justin Jefferson, legit SEC guy, there, uh, led the team 54 catches, 875 yards, six touchdowns. Um, you know, 6'2, 190 pounds, tough guy. Uh, former top 100 recruit Jamar Chase, you know, they love what they saw from him, uh, in the spring, he had a solid. New debut season last year, 23 catches, 313 yards. Derek Dillon's back, 22 catches, 307 yards. Uh, he may be the fastest guy 
there uh, in that group. So plenty of options at wide receiver for, for LSU. They go pretty deep there. Uh, they, lo- they do lose tight end Foster Moreau. Uh, he'll have to find a replacement there. Uh, and LSU only loses one player from uh, last year's offensive line, finished second to last in the SEC in sacks, and they uh, allowed a lot of tackles for loss last year. So need a lot of improvement there, as uh, one of the coaches said in, in the previews that we just read. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of some experience coming back, uh, but they definitely need to raise their game uh, up front for LSU. I just – well, that's kind of what's going – when we were talking about what those coaches were saying and, and, and kind of just reading um, – the running backs and the offensive line for LSU, they just still don't look like that, you know, tough nose LSU offense. But in a way, that's what held them back for so long is because they tried to stick with that formula for so long. So now seeing what they have at receiver and with Joe Burrow, I think that, you know, the the change for offense is definitely good for them because I don't think they have that same kind of offensive line. They definitely don't have the same type of running backs that we're used to seeing for years at LSU. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to efficiency. They weren't very efficient last year. So they were 87th in yards per rush against FBS opponents. Now, obviously, they have four guys returning on the offensive line. And like you mentioned, some of the running backs they've got returning in Brissett and Edwards Hilaire. Um, and then Burrow also had 400 yards rushing as well. But, you know, Brissett averaged 4.3 yards per rush. Edwards Hilaire averaged 4.5. They they ran the ball a lot. So, I mean, you know, it was 386 carries between those two and then another 128 for Burrow. They just weren't very efficient at it. I think, you know, you really start looking at it and saying, I think in some capacity, they probably need to be a little bit more balanced. Say 379 passing attempts and well over, well over 600 rushing attempts. And so um, that I think maybe is the area where you see a change this year in their offense as they get more balanced in terms of just not trying to run the ball as much because, because um, like you said, they don't necessarily have the personnel to do it. But more than that, it's like, you know, if, if you run the ball well, you're going to average five yards a rush. If you pass the ball well, you should average eight or nine. And so just from the standpoint of moving the ball down the field, the passing game has to be the way that you do that if you're going to beat teams like like Alabama and Georgia and, and, and even Florida. And I think I think you saw that last year when, when the much-hyped game between LSU and Alabama turned into an Alabama whitewash because because LSU became one-dimensional and then, and then Burrow wasn't able to carry him. And I think you see the same thing this year in games if you can make them one-dimensional and make them inefficient running the ball. They're still going to try. But if you can make them inefficient, then Burrow is going to have to pick up the slack. And, uh, you know, I think he's a really good player. I'm not sure he's the player. At least he didn't demonstrate last year that he was the type of player who could pick up the slack when the running game isn't doing his job. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, just because of Burrow and a lot of the talk, we're comparing Felipe Franks and all that. I just think the progression of Felipe Franks, Joe Burrow, Kellen Mond at Texas A&M, you know, those three guys – Whoever progresses the more, whoever progresses more there out of those three guys, I think you definitely can look for big seasons for, for for their teams. Which one can take the next big step? I think they all three take steps. Which you know, how big is that step for all those three quarterbacks? There is, uh, I think, one of the major SEC storylines that maybe not be getting, maybe not getting talked about uh, enough there. So moving to defense, uh, they allowed just three hundred thirty nine yards and twenty two points per game last year. Eight starters and seven of the top nine tacklers uh, are, are back to overcome the loss of linebacker Devin White, cornerback Greedy Williams. Pass rush was pretty good last year. Run defense was okay. Uh, just 
secondary was killer and should be uh, again uh, much like florida they, they use that dbu moniker there so uh, a lot of a talent a lot of talent coming back there as well a lot of defensive linemen uh were either limited or out in, in the spring uh, including including leader rashad lawrence he dominated fiesta bowl win against ucf uh he should be recovered from a knee injury by preseason camp uh, also uh, uh, brandon fajeco uh, he started eight games in 2018 uh, for your know, uh, biceps injury. Uh, kept him out for spring there. Junior Neil Farrell, a solid backup. He was out of spring with a shin injury. So LSU's got to get healthy for some guys who missed spring, but some guys who played last year as well. Uh, Devin White, uh, you could say, you know, probably one of, if not, you know, best linebacker LSU's ever had. He's going to the NFL. They do get back Caleb Von Chasen, uh, you know, the, Great pass rusher. He tore his ACL last year in the opener against Miami, so he missed last year. Um, the, uh, high praise for him uh, dating back uh, to, to last year. Then if you go to the defensive backfield, Greedy Williams left, but you know LSU they recruit DBs. We know that uh, Christian Fulton he sat out uh, the NCAA drug test suspension last year to get him back. Uh, he'll be uh, he'll be highly thought of by the time we we get around and see him. Uh, when, when Florida travels to Baton Rouge, uh, early enrollee, five-star Derek Stingley, he's expected to, to start uh, for, for LSU. Kind of, you know, just like Florida does, they'll roll in a freshman DB and, and just keep on chugging away. Uh, 6'2", 200 pounds. Uh, he, he, got on, he got on campus early, Will. He was actually able to take in part bowl practices, go through the spring uh, as well. So he's got to practice a, a lot for LSU uh, being, you know, yeah, many people are even saying he'll be he'll be better than Patrick Peterson. Uh, there, one of LSU's best DBs, uh, Grant Delpit, uh, safety, uh, one of the better players in college football. He's back, seventy-four tackles, nine and a half tackles for loss, five sacks, five interceptions last year for him. Yeah, I mean, Delpit's a really, really good player. Um, I think it's probably a little bit premature to call Stingley Patrick Peterson. <laughs> I think, you know, Patrick Peterson's really, really, really good DB. Sort of like earlier when you were comparing the Auburn quarterback Gatewood to Tebow. It's like, all right, you know. I mean, I yeah, guess we got to do that based on size, only. but um, a size and an awkward throwing motion or something. And, and, and go, oh, he's the next Tebow. And from Jacksonville. So there we go. Uh, That's yeah. where the comparisons are stopping. I get it. But I mean, it's the same thing with Stingley and Patterson, right? I mean, Stingley may be a really, really good player, um, but he's still young. And five stars still make mistakes, just like just like four stars and three stars do. If you bust the coverage, it doesn't matter how fast you are, <laughs> except for maybe right, if you can recover just in time if there's a bad throw or something like that. I, I think when we look at the when we look at the LSU defense, there's a couple of things. I guess seven guys returning on defense. Um, they were 39th last year in points per game allowed against FBS opponents, but they were 24th in yards per play. So I mentioned that Auburn's defense, the underlying numbers indicated they weren't quite as good as what they had on the field. Well, LSU or what they allowed in terms of points, LSU's the opposite. They probably allowed more points than you would expect. And some of that comes down to turnovers. Some of that comes down to point, you know, to, to, um, to, to field position and things like that. When you can't run the ball, you can't necessarily pin the other team deep. But, you know, some of that I think just comes down to luck as well. And so um, I expect the defense to probably take a step forward when it comes to um, how many points they're giving up just because of the underlying numbers. But, um, you know, again, that means if Burrow steps up and the defense is better, this is a team that can be really, really, really good. And I think the other things we have to take into account are that Florida is going to be playing them on the road. 
it's going to be the second game in that four game stretch where you've got where Florida will have played Auburn right before and is going to be looking at Georgia coming up after that. Whereas, you know, the two prior for, uh, for, for LSU is at Vanderbilt and Utah state at home. So, uh, so they should be rested coming up into this one and, and Florida's going to have to bring its best game. Yeah, I think so. I'd be, uh, you know, looking at it on the surface, you know, it's Florida's second toughest game of the season uh, behind Georgia. So uh, a trip to Baton Rouge and an improving LSU team uh, there. Uh, you know, you do look at and seeing a lot of preseason polls, LSU getting a whole lot more love than, than, than Florida. Uh, I don't necessarily know. Uh, I get where the big gap is coming from. Sometimes you'll see LSU up in, in a four or five slot and Florida eight. I mean, I know that's only a few slots, but uh, they're getting a lot more praise than, than Florida is um, coming up, you know, in preseason magazines and polls and uh, preseason polls that will be coming out soon there, too. So, you know, we'll see. As I said, there's definitely Florida's second toughest opponent as it stands right now uh, going into the season. All right, well, yeah. okay, good. No, I was just going to say, I think some of that might have to do with the non-conference schedule. You know, they don't necessarily have the, uh, you know, Florida's got Miami and Florida State. Certainly LSU has Texas, but they've also got Georgia Southern, Utah State. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, just at the end of the day, they're, they're and Northwestern State. So at the end of the day, there's some cupcakes in there, especially before they take on Florida, right? So Georgia Southern, then at Texas, then Northwestern State, at, at Vanderbilt, and Utah State before they come to Florida. So, um, you know, that Texas game obviously is tough, but Florida is sort of the start for them in terms of in terms of playing those games. And you can anticipate that they may be 5-0 and when, when Florida comes to town if they're able to take business against Texas, take care of business against Texas. And it'll be a heck of a heck of a showdown because Florida's probably going to be right up there too. Always a fun game there. So, uh, yeah, that'll be uh, definitely – I mean, I don't know. I, I, it's uh, just one of those games, Will, where it's just lately, every time we play LSU, just, it, it's it's always crazy. There's always big storylines, big plays just waiting to happen. Last year it was the Brad Stewart given, you know, Jerbo Jerbo his first interception thrown. It was returned back for a pick six. Just uh, that's a fun game and one to look forward to as we wrap up this episode and, and looking at what uh, these teams can do. But that LSU game would definitely be, would definitely be key. Absolutely, man. It's always the fulcrum for the season. Tells you whether it really sort of gives you an idea of where Florida sits as a team and kind of where LSU sits as a team as well. So, um, you know, part of it's that you're halfway through the season. Part of it is that, uh, you know, typically these are two of the better teams in the SEC. And, you know, that's what you want, man. By the time you get to this point, Florida's in the teeth of its schedule and we're going to be having a lot of fun just because uh, it's going to be quality football. Absolutely. All right. That'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdowns. We take a look at the first four. Uh, SEC opponents for the Gators next up on the next episode uh, where we're when we'll be taking a look at the uh, the opponent previews for the Gators South Carolina Georgia Missouri uh, Vanderbilt Missouri there so the, in the order Florida will play them so that'll be uh, uh, that'll be a fun one as we take a look at uh, South Carolina Georgia two SEC East uh, foes there uh, well hey I guess they're all four SEC East teams yeah Florida will go on the SEC East Street to end the season there will. Hey, man, as, as long as it's 4-0, I don't care who they're playing. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, the two two West teams back-to-back and then a four-game SEC East streak uh, to end the uh, conference schedule there. So, Will, anything else? Nah, man, just looking forward to it, chomping at the bit, and uh, can't wait for the season to get started.
yeah, the season previews uh, give us a lot to learn uh, and um, uh, about these teams. So uh, definitely makes me look forward uh, to the season a little bit more and uh, starting a new streak uh, against Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> the start of 31 more Dave. there we go there we go that is will miles you can find him on twitter at will miles scc and his site read and i'm the host of gators breakdown david waters you can find me on twitter at gator dave underscore scc guys and girls out there thanks for listening to this episode of gators breakdown <laughs>